It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I am he, as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together. Welcome to Scream A Celica, your Tuesday night entertainment. Russell Boyce, how can I help you? 
I'm good, mate. I'm good. What an intro, Kev. I love that. I know, I know. Right in there with the Beatles, man. Brilliant. Uh, well, so some folk would probably say Oasis because Oasis maybe pulled that song into the, the consciousness of a younger generation. So, aye. True. Did they did, I, 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 when I saw them at the Cat House, that's what they ended with. It was a fantastic gig, that gig at the Cat House. What's mm-hmm. the, what's, what gets me thinking that, eh? What's the best song you've heard a band Dane that you didn't realise was a cover version? Oh. That you thought was one which uh, without being too boring and saying the same band again, but it was a uh, BDI when I seen them live did uh, Sons of the Stage by Sons of the Stage by World of Twist. World of Twist, I and I, I just presumed that was one of their songs. You know what I mean? That was that was rocking that man. That def- was actually one of the best songs they played on the night, to be fair. They, de- they definitely, like, BDI'd that up, because when you actually hear the original version, the original version's mere electronic and mere... Yeah. Uh, pro- probably a massive Andy, uh, Andy Bell influence that they actually chose that track, truthfully. Uh, right. One again, what minds us? No problem. It took me about a decade to realise Step On was a cover version. Been a happy Mondays. No, I, 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 I knew that as well. That's mad, eh? Uh, I always thought that was a happy Monday song. I think it took me about ten years to realise to hear the original version. I went, "What do you mean that's a cover version?" Uh, <laughs> we could <laughs> do a show on covers, like you could do a show on covers and just discuss like covers Produ- you didn't know that. Producer Paul will come in. There is a cover version of Fool's Gold by Sunday. And I can't remember who it's been. Paul will come in and tell us. If you find it, find it on YouTube after, obviously, you, you finished listening to us. Uh, but it sounds like the Stone Roses have covered this version. This version, the guy strips it down to an old soul sort of vibe, 1970s soul brilliant. vibe. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. No, you He played me up the last time I was doing the studio, eh? And I was like, Jesus Christ, what a what an absolute belter of a cover version that is. Oh. But, you would, but you would really think the two versions, the cover version was recorded in the 1970s and the the, the Stone Roses had actually covered it in 1989. It's, it's wow. a belting version. I'm sure Paul will come back in. Um, so... I was off yesterday. I kind of was off yesterday. And a lot of folks says I was like um, away getting interviewed for other jobs and <laughs> and stuff like that. Eh? And I wasn't really. I was like, see that ship? It's moved in the Suez Canal. That was me. That's what I was doing yesterday. I was on, I was on a tugboat <laughs> eh, eh, making sure that ship moved because I'm keeping the world moving here. Especially with this show as well. Fool's Gold by Calvin Law. Everybody, check that out. Go on, right go on Spotify and check that out. No, we may as well jump in the DeLorean and go back to yes. the 16th of March 2013. So at this point, we've landed at a strange Celtic parky. Eh? There's no Rangers in the league, they've been liquidated in the third reform in the third division. And our focus is on Europe. And Europe had ended a couple of weeks before that when Juventus had beat us uh, 5 nothing uh, on aggregate over the two legs in the last 16 of the Champions League. 
that was only a couple of months after the unforgettable high that we had or beating Barcelona on the night of our 125th yeah. anniversary, which sorted us out as being our 125th unbroken anniversary, which I may as well just get that in there because that's a lay, that's my <laughs> dick that I always get in there. But I remember this game and I remember the club at this time. The club's in a state of nothingness and there's an uneasiness round about this club at this yeah. point. Even though we're top of the league, uh, we're still in the Scottish Cup. We've just been beaten 3-2 of St Murn in the semi-final of the League Cup and we were utterly atrocious that day at Hamden. One of the worst performances we've ever seen us at Hamden. And this is Neil Lennon's third defeat at Hamden in a row at this point. Uh, we'd be beat off Rangers, we'd go beat off the League Cup final with Kilmarnock, then St Murn Papa's out uh, in the League Cup semi-final. In the games leading up to this game, we played Aberdeen at, uh, at Celtic Park this day, by the way. I can't have to mention who we were playing. Um, we had Drew with St. Johnson. We had been beaten with... We had been beaten by uh, Motherwell. We had been beaten by Motherwell. And also, we had the week before, we had got beaten by Ross County up in Dingwall after being 2 nothing up inside the first 15 minutes. And we ended up getting beat 3 too. There's stories in the press that Neil Lennon is, is going to leave, is considering his position. This is after him and Mialbe, after the Barcelona games, have appeared on every Sky programme gone. Because they obviously know their stock's high at that yep. point. Beating Barcelona 2-1, their stock is absolutely at its pinnacle. So they've appeared on Super Sunday, they've appeared on La, Viga, La Liga Revisited. So they've been touting themselves openly for other jobs. Um, the players are coming under criticism for the management as well. Their yep. attitude, their attitude was being questioned, and the question was being asked if the if players really wanted to be there. And I'm like, I'm reading this like you, and I'm going, is this 2020 or, or 2013? I couldn't uh, believe my eyes reading it honestly today. I was, I, I had so much fun in the minds today, to be honest with you, um, reading up on. The sort of background to the game, what the backdrop was, because obviously that season's always is, as you rightly pointed out, synonymous with the uh, the win over Barcelona. But you forget how quickly things change in football, and from that incredible high, as you rightfully say, come March it was a wee bit like Lennon was throwing the toys at the bus again, out of the pram again, toys at the bus, toys at the pram again, and I, I couldn't believe reading it back. Although it did take me back when I was reading it. I just could not believe when you were saying Lennon accuses players of wanting out. I think it was Fraser Foster who had given an interview. Aye. Sounding a bit like that. And that adduct him. And then you just, it's like you say, you go, this guy has, I remember obviously this season, there was an interview from him at Bolton Wanderers. And mm -hmm. it was genuinely was, could have been from the, the, the current season as well at Celtic. I mean, I was reading that today, you kind of can't help but think, you know, there's a real weakness there that this guy is, you know, on repeat when things aren't going right, it very much is the same uh, reasoning that he's got behind that and the same sort of uh, lack of shouldering responsibility, I kind of feel as well. There seems to be a bit of a, a habit in it, and certainly at this period of time, whilst he's obviously, as you say, this management team's pimping themselves out, um, you've got him actually throwing the players under the bus at the same time. So, yeah, just a wee bit... 
it can get a bit toxic with, with Lennon there, I think, is what history is telling us when you do look over his managerial record. And I find that quite weird that uh, Dermot Desmond comes out last week and says nobody could see this coming. And you're going, well, if you look back in 2013, round about this time, then going into the following season when he did leave, it was very, very clear that the management and the players had took their eye off the ball. And that, and the, the players taking their eye off the ball comes for the management because Are the you? management, the, the discipline, uh, the discipline's not there. And... When you read these comments in 2013 leading up to this game and games after this game and that, as you mentioned, the, the interview with Bolton, you're going, that could have been for October this year. That could have been for September this year because his tone and the way that he tried to get a kick in out of the players, a kick in the players, never changed in all the time in management. You even go, but you even go back to uh, Hibs. When you look at he chucked the Hibs players, the whole, well, the rumour, I'm going to do the Neil Lennon air quotes again, the rumour, <laughs> the, the reason that he got kicked out of Hibs is because he was throwing the players under a bus. There's one particular that he wanted to throw under a bus with a right hook, but maybe missed. I never saved that name, mate. We'll, oh, probably, get lawyer, we'll, probably, get, we'll probably get a lawyer's letter now. Um, <laughs> so it's clear that the players are taking their eyes off the bus. But when you've got a player coming out in the papers, Charlie Mulgrew, saying the league is born without Rangers, is it any wonder that you're getting performances like the the Ross County, Motherwell, St Mum? Is it any, I mean, even this game that we're going to talk about, this showed signs of the malaise it was in the club, the laziness it was in the club at this point. And it seemed the fans agreed at this point. I can we all look back on it, and it's one of the things that uh, the Rangers fans have said to us. Aye, aye, he's never enjoyed it, I thought us, and he's turned your back in droves. But when you start going back into it, and you start having a look, this game against Aberdeen, the official attendance was 46,395. But there was less than that there when you watch the footage back. I remember being at this game, there was far less than that in the stadium. You'd be lucky if there was 30,000 in the ground that day. I remember... I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because when I was looking at it as well, and and I think there is a subconscious among Celtic fans, deep down there you go, how interested were the fans and the players at that point in time when you did feel... You've got to admit it. I mean, like they, it did feel like it was inevitable we would win the league. And therefore, mm-hmm. I think the taking the eye off the ball thing was actually total, as opposed to just being the players. Um, but the flip side of that, of course, being the Champions League performances. Now, you would think the less competitive nature they've got in the league at the time, or certainly their mindset is at the very least, um, the more they would struggle in the Champions League. That makes it all the more of a miracle, I think, what we achieved um, that season in Europe. You know that? You could actually say that the management's focus and the players' focus was only on the Champions League. Once they got yeah. in the Champions League. And obviously, we get to the last 16. Fantastically get to the last 16. And we get back-pocketed by a decent UV side. And that's it. The season's over. I, I remember walking at the UV game, if, the home game, if they're getting beat 3 nothing. Right. And and talking to a, a guy for the Bannockburn Celtic bus, and he's going, no, that's the season finished. And you're going, well, at this point, we've still got a league to win. We're still in the Scottish Cup. 
but because we were out of Europe, because we were expected to win the league, that that was it. Europe was a big thing, and we were out, and a lot of a lot of people found it a bit hard to take. And it's a bit like this season where we, we've all got sort of written off this season because right. we've been right, we've been right wrong. Um, I remember at this time, eh, I had guys on my supporters bus who would go to the pub and no bother going to the game. Just again, that happens all the time. But there was mayor and mayor who were just turning up and they had no, they had no intention of coming out the pub and going to the game. They would have, and you had, and as I think you could see, you had guys that had season tickets who had no intention of uh, using them either because of the, the empty seats at that time. If we would have turned up at that time. The team that day was big fras and goals. Izzy, yep. F.A. Ambrose, Kelvin Wilson, Charlie Mulgrew, Mikael Lustig, Chris Commons, Joe Ledley, Barim Kayal, Tony Stokes and Gary Hooper. The two subs that came on that day, and this is what the, the podcast is about, these two subs and the music, obviously, in the later half of the podcast. Um, the late, late half. <laughs> the late, late half of the podcast. What was, what, what was funny was Samaras comes on for Kyle on 61 minutes. Neil Lennon's optimum time for bringing on a sub. And Lassad comes on from Tony Soaks on 67 minutes. By this time, we're 3-1 down by the time he makes the two subs. We're 3-1 down after Chris Commons scoring after 12 seconds. Yeah. Chris, Chris Gorman scores the quickest goal ever in the Scottish Professional Football League straight for the kickoff. Uh, a great ball by Tony Stokes. It's a good goal, eh? Brilliant. Brilliant. I think, uh, do you know what it reminded you of as well? Just Gorman's finishing, I thought, was outrageous at times. He was ruthless in front of goal. You got him the ball 25, 30 yards out. Any, you know, within that range, any closer at all, he's putting the back of the net. It's pinpoint. I mean, and you, you've got to remember as well, 12 seconds into the game, you've just started, Kev. You're, I, you know, I mean, you're still getting, you're looking for your first touch. He's just slotting it right into the corner with total ease. Um, but again, I thought he had a couple of years spell where, you know, for a midfield, well, I don't know what position, what position would you call Chris Commons? <laughs> He put him on the park and he was a danger in the final third. <laughs> but he didn't play, he wasn't a striker by any stretch, but, he, you know, he wasn't really a midfield, he didn't do much donkey work, you know, he was very much in his own sort of role, but his finishing for a couple of years, you know, it was, you know, breathtaking at times, you know, his goal numbers were outstanding. Did he make 100 or was he just short? Oh, I think he was just short. I um, think he was just short. <laughs> he was just short. He was just short. <laughs> oh, that's a bad one, I, that one. I think he got 91. I think it was 91 goals he got, but you know that, that finish to me was just you know really, really good when you watch it, but actually it was very much just stereotypical Chris Commons at the time, Kev. It was, it's not that we would be surprised at seeing, you know? I know, it wasn't, eh? Then what sort of happens in the game is the team shuts off, goes into neutral, and just nothing happened for the rest of that half. Nothing oh, actually happened. Nothing happened. We didn't attack. It was almost as if the team went, oh, that's us one nothing up. This game's won. And, and, com- and that's com- back to what we were saying. That's, just, that's exactly back to that mindset thing, isn't it? 
Aye. So that mindset happens until 44 minutes, 45 minutes. Um, Kelvin Wilson, who had signed for Nottingham Forest, and he, truthfully, he was having no bad season. That's uh, right. That season, that season was having a decent enough season. He's chasing, he's chasing a long punt, and he actually collapses like a veranda. Get He actually collapses like a, a wardrobe getting thrown out of a veranda. And Scott Vernon, who looks like the side of a bungalow, scores. And that's one each going in at half time. Before you know it, seven minutes in the setting half, Celtic have went in the meltdown mode. Josh McGuinness scores two goals. Now, these were Josh McGuinness's first goals from uh, November. November, November it was. <laughs> this is his first goal for November. The first one, Big Fraser Foster lets to go under his body. But it's a horrible, it's a horrible, horrible goal. Yes. Paul comes in with Commons, 89 goals, 72 assists. I was two out. I was two out. I would give you that. I would give you that on pointers. I would give you that. Another one that McGuinness scores is a long-range shot, which he deflects into the net. So we're at 60 minutes, uh, 60, 63 minutes. He just did quickly as well. One of the things that caught me off guard, because that's why I love this so much, right? Gavin Knight playing for Aberdeen, completely forgotten as well. And it's him who hits the uh, the, the, volley for the, the, the volley for the edge of the box. And the, 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 the is actually quite nicely sort of, I don't know how much he's meant it, but it turns into like a flick that's quite, the ball's quite high up and he's flicked it in. But right. um, Gavin Ray, I, 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 was, I was like, I totally forgot he played for Aberdeen, man. And you, you see his celebration, he's running away like he's won the World Cup. You know what I, I mean? know, I, right, I know. You. you know what I mean? To, to, the wee, to the wee band Aberdeen fans who had bothered their, bothered their backside to make the journey down the road. A lot no, of them actually come... That, that game, though. We can't no, no, they can't. We have guys that couldn't be bothered to leave the, the turnstiles. Never, <laughs> never mind come down for Aberdeen. Um, so, uh, see, at this point, and this maybe shows you how bad a run we're on, we're looking at losing three games in a row Three league games in a row That's for the right. first time since 1994. What does that tell you about the mentality of the Celtic team at that point? It also just takes you... It just it, it really does take you to this season, mate. It right. really does. I, and I'm not just saying that. The similarities are glaring. And I think the more you think about it, the more you sort of look at that Dermot Desmond quote saying, no one could have seen this coming. A wee bit of research by Kevin Boyce on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm telling you, Dermot, you've missed it, big man, because actually the warning signs of what's happened this season is you know very very similar to me when you when you when you're watching that back and you know you've got to say as well looking at that Celtic eleven, it's a strong side, and I don't even think Ledley at that but Ledley was captain that day. But Kyle in midfield certainly wasn't a regular by then in the midfield. In fact, I think it was rare that both Ledley and Kyle started together in midfield. I don't think that was first choice at all. Um, Kyle's getting a lot of abuse round about this time for his performances. His performances yep. have dropped off a cliff. Uh, yep. he's, went, he's went for looking like one of the best midfield players that we've had to a guy who's struggling. I think the getting done by Lee McCulloch a year before Probably contributed, contributed to that, uh, and I think when I'm, when I'm reading back, I'm going. Nah, I think that abuse is a bit 
over the top, considering he was coming back for a, a long-term miss injury. But there's some of the players who... <coughs> I mean, that first 11, if you go back to that first 11, is that a better team than what we've got to know? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. I, I mean, I think there's a style of player in there that wouldn't maybe be as successful now. I know it's only eight, nine years later, but I, just comments for all the ability he has. Can you afford those passengers in modern football these days? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if, if how well he would fit in the in the modern team. Or maybe it's the Mavericks that were missing, things like that. But you look mm-hmm. at Tom Rogic and his football's got fitter and quicker, especially in the last couple of years. I think teams, squads, especially domestically, I think are, you know, razor sharp professional-wise now compared to what they used to be. And they are fit. Um, and, and I think sometimes... He looks like the pace of the game. And, you know, Scottish football has always been quick pace, but I don't know. I think, you know, stamina-wise, you've got to be a proper athlete now. And I'm not I'm not sure about that one. But, I mean, you look at Lustig. Um, I actually watched a few games from that era, uh, the highlights, and you forgot just how mobile Lustig was as well. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's easy to remember his, you know, his sideways passes and his love of a header, you know what I mean? Or, or his... He's love of winning a shy. That's what used to drive me nuts. He'd always love to just knock it off the, the opposing player and out for a throw, and that was his safety net. Eh? But um, you look back at that era, he was up and down, mate. Up and down that right, you know, rapid. He was he was really impressive. Ledley I always liked as a player. We spoke about Stokes last week and all the talent mm-hmm. he had. Hooper would get you goals, I think, in any of the Celtic sides of my my generation. Anyway, I think Hooper was a, a real natural goal scorer. And then, of course, you've got the likes of Epi Ambrose. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say what you think of him, eh? No, it definitely is. It's probably a more balanced side. I would maybe give it that. If you if you if you look at the the last eleven it played for Celtic, and you look at this eleven, this eleven looks more like a team rather than the, the eleven that played against whoever we last played against Rangers. I think it was. I think that looks more like a team. And this, and this team actually had a bit of a mentality about it when needed. They mm. seem to turn up. But again, we've slaughtered the mentality because, as we say, there's too many similarities at this point in 2013 and what we've actually seen this season. Now, we actually do get ourselves back into this. Yes. Mulgrew, Mulgrew decides that he isn't bored and scores with a deflected shot after 68 minutes for a corner kick. That's the worst goal, by the way. Oh, See, Andrew's attempted shot. Oh, my. Oh, oh it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. 
the best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. To take Arthur Montford's greatest phrase, and there's a stramash in the box, and it breaks the, it breaks the challenge of grew at the edge, and he sort of hits it into the ground, it hits a defender and, and goes across Jamie Langfield. Um, and then... We didn't really do much either. We've got pressure and all of that, but Langfield's no saving things left, right and centre. And it takes another corner kick um, in the 87th, 88th minute. And Hooper scores with a close-range header. Again, it's another stramash in the box. It's no a great goal. It's just Hooper's doing what Gary do- Hooper done at that in time. In the right place, right at, time. Quick right reaction, time. header and uh, headers at home, definitely, mate. Aye, so we're back at three each with three minutes to go. And this old Celtic thing, you knew at that point we were going to win that game. For me, I remember jumping about the stand at that and going, we're winning this game. There's still three minutes to go. That's plenty of time. We're getting another big chance. And you were you were confident that you were going to get another big chance. And we got that big chance. And again, it was Chris Commons, free kick for the left hand, the, the, the main stand side, and he whips it in, and he overshoots it. Yep. He overshoots it. It's a, it's a bad ball. Fair play to the big Tunisian Lassad. He manages to header it back across the face of the goal. And it is a bad header, but it's a bad ball. But he's managed to keep it in play, and it bounces. And, and there's big gorgeous George. He somehow manages to overhead kick it past Jamie Langfield, who makes what I would call that goalkeeper's dive when they can it's in but they just want to make an effort and they go oh <laughs> <laughs> and totally. like, he knows it's in and he goes oh, I'm never getting this but I've got to make that's an effort that's so true by the way that's <laughs> and, so true it ends up in the back of the net it goes we go wild big Sammy goes wild he takes the top off and he's twirling it round his head love it and he's got a white vest on. I love the fact that he's got a white vest on. <laughs> and, I mean, a white vest has never look, looked as cool as it does in that moment when Big uh, Hank Lustig tries to rugby tackle on Missy's and the whole place is bedlam and that. Eh? And you go, that was a fantastic end to a game. It was a brilliant end to a game. It's a game. It's a game that's stuck in my mind, but there was so much wrong with that Celtic team and during that <laughs> during that game it took us three it took us three set plays to actually turn that game round it was the totally. three goals for open open play it was three set plays totally totally and it was, I, and it was, do you know what I found interesting right so I'm watching Samaras was a sub that day um, obviously, he was mainly getting used. I think for the Champions League, he was the main weapon, wasn't he? In the in the, in the Champions League. Oh, this is this is this is for me. This is Samaras's greatest year at Celtic yep. Park for inspirational. And do you remember? So this is the point I wanted to raise with you, Kev. I should have probably pre-warned you, but so well, no, no. we go. I didn't uh, warn you about anything. No, true, true. But I, I like going. To, I like that. That's brilliant. Um, so Samaras. 
remember the Champions League on at least two occasions was captain. Was now, it? that day, I've just said Joe Ledley was captain. As I said, I watched a few highlights games. Kelvin Wilson's captain one day. Do you remember how often we rotated the captaincy that year? Because Scott Brown didn't play every single game. As much contrary to popular, you know, probably folks' memories, he did not start every game. Eh, uh, now you've pointed it out. Aye. Aye, aye. Now you've pointed it out, it probably is a good point that maybe that's the reason that we are rudderless because there's not a natural leader um, after Scott Brown in that lineup, but then again, looking at that lineup, Joe Ledley would have been the man, would have been the captain for me every day of the week. Yeah, you would have thought so. But again, as I say, it was only it was just one one next match on YouTube I looked at, and it was Kelvin Wilson wearing the armband. And then I thought it was Sam Ass was captain in Europe a couple of times, and before you, that's three off the top of my head. And I know if you did some real digging, I, I remember talking about it at the time that he passes the captain's armband about too much. Mm-hmm. Me and my mates used to go to. Uh, for the away European games, I was going to like Molly Mullins and Stirling and watch, watch it. I remember it being a topic of conversation that he, he gives out the, the captain's arm. I remember in cup games and that, he used to just give it to anyone. Again, that probably sums up where we were as a club at that time. We were, yeah. we were completely rudderless, leadershipless, um, and history has repeated itself. And 100%. History has repeated itself. But we can't delve too much into this. I think we need to have a look at the cult of Samaritans because for me, we've done this uh, an Axon, uh, we've still got an Axon website and uh, Laura's going to be updating it with us and we are going to be contributing ar- articles and that so you'll, you'll be able to read our pitch, never mind listen to it as well. Uh, and Samaras for me is the ultimate cult player because Samaras was frustrating, he was inconsistent, but he's got moments. He's got a highlight reel full of moments of big, big Celtic moments, which makes him absolutely lovable. And for me, that has to that, that's how he's a cult player. I mean, let's have a look at Samaras. I mean, he started off his career at his hometown club in Crete. He was born on the whole of the island of Crete. How good is that? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And his dad was a professional football player as well. He moved to the Dutch side, uh, Heravin. What I always remember about Heravin, he had the hearts on their kit. That's they, right. They, 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 had the heart, they had the hearts on the kit. And he, he moved to Heravin when he was 18 years old. When he was in Holland, he scored uh, 25 goals in 88 games. But it's great watching his YouTube video. Want to how? It's a younger version of Sammy. It's not the, it's not the bearded version of Sammy. It's, uh, it's the version of Samaras that looks like the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Milan Barros. He's got that Milan Barros. Young yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Young look about him. And his highlight, his highlight reel in a... And Holland is absolutely great because his goals are pacey, he's gliding, and it's cool finishing. It's what you actually remember about him when he comes to Celtic. Any highlight reel you see a Samaras in Celtic is exactly the same as his highlight reel at Erevy because he always scored the same type of goal. And totally. 
he was a top goal scorer. He was a top goal scorer in Holland, and he attracted interest to Arsenal and and Sevilla. But he, he eventually ended up moving to Man City for Man six City. million pound. Six million, which at the time was a record for a Greek internationalist to move to any club. But again, it's really hard to imagine Giorgio Samaras getting on with Stuart Pearce as a manager. Eh? Because it was Stuart Pearce that signed them for Man City. And Samaras became one. Look at him, eh? Going, shut up, you. I can't, I can't see Samaras putting up with the Sex Pistols getting played in the dressing room before the game and stuff like that, eh? I think because, <laughs> he was, because he was born on the part of Ireland, I think he'd probably be made European technically. Eh? Oh, doing, so, doing the beach, like, and that. I, I can't see him taking the Sex, sex Pistols. To, to heart very well. Do you know who he replaced? He came on for Man City as a sub, right? Do you know who he replaced? For his debut? For his debut for Man City. Robbie Fowler. Close. Andy, Andy Cole. Cole. Andy Cole. I knew it was one of the two. He replaced, he replaced uh, Andy Cole as for his debut. No. Stuart Pearce as your manager, Man City gone through a massive change at that point, spending big money, and Sven Goran Eriksson coming in. His, his time at City was extremely limited, and the City fans actually booed him on a couple of occasions when he actually came on. Shame on them! Absolutely shame on them booing the big Greek I'm god. Delighted because it's you know it's their losses ever gained very much, mate. You know what I mean? Aye. So he played sixty three games for City, scored twelve goals, and he moved to us on loan in January 2008 and he was straight up with us he says I'm coming here to get games because I want to go to the Euros in 2008 yep. and he was, straight, he was straight up with us came on the park Scottish Cup tie against Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock. And, scored, and scored an absolute perlory a goal with virtually one of his first touches cut inside so I, I, I was talking yesterday I was saying about how Current side, I think, you know, we might need more Hartley and uh, Robson types, you know, because we're in a war here, you know what I mean, to try and win the league back. I think as much as Hartley and Robson coming into that team that won us the, the league that season, the third most important player was Samarati's addition in January. I think mm-hmm. he got, it was like 11 and 13 that season. I know I'll be slightly off, but, I'll, you know, it's like that. Um, he was a breath of fresh air in that Celtic team, Kev, was he not? It was. Um, he actually got Tony Haggerty. If Tony Haggerty is listening to this uh, or watching this, he's not going to like what I'm going to say here. But he actually got a tune out of Jan Venegura Hesselink towards the end of that season. <laughs> I know, I'm just, I'm going to, for, for those, we've got a WhatsApp group and Tony's been very vocal about his feelings about Jan Venegura Hesselink this afternoon. So, that, I, <laughs> so I, I think Samar has got a tune uh, uh, Venegura Hesselink towards the end of that season yep. and uh, for, for me it was no surprise when we signed him in the summer uh, when we signed him on a three year contract in that summer and I thought we were actually getting a, a player and we got a guy who on his day was unplayable as we've mentioned in that 2013 period in Europe You've got the goals that he scored against Rangers, where he completely slaughtered the Rangers for two years, who who were utterly frightened any time they saw him on his on the team sheet. 
Um, some some guys are mentioning the comments about a Samara Sunday when he, McGregor charges off the line and, and he puts it in the so back cool, of the net. So cool, wasn't it? So cool. Then you've got to remember he, he signed for Gordon Stratton then his goal in Moscow against Dynamo Moscow for Tony Mowbray. He scored two, goal, he scored two, two goals in I, Moscow. Aye, because Dynamo was the one where he's, he's sort of passed it in, hasn't he, in the last minute? Aye, aye. And then, it, and then the one the one against Spartak was the, the header, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So, there you go. He's, for a guy who was so, so frustrating, he had moments. He had moments of absolute brilliance, which for me means that he was like... He's fondly remembered for me as a Celtic player. Well, Kev, I mean, you talk about big Samaras moments, and I did allude in my tweet to a, a you know a serious bet that I won uh, in this season, actually, funnily enough, which brought all the memories back. We played um, we played Barcelona at the New Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd had quite a few Guinnesses, not in my own pub. Uh, I'd went up the town, as I say, we always watched the, the Celtic games at Molly Malone's, and it turns out that that night we got beat 2-1. But you remember Samara sort of headers it straight into a Barcelona defender that completely deflects off and changes the direction of the ball. And we actually, I think we went 1-0 up, didn't we? And we lost a goal in the last minute of the new camp. Yes. Um, I, I watched that game in Gran Canaria. And, right. and I remember losing that last minute goal. James, now, Forrest, never, James Forrest never tracked Alaba back. That's right. And I'm not, I, I, I mean, I did like a bet probably, you know, back then. I don't really gamble at all now, do you know what I mean? But I'd obviously at this point, I had the scattergun approach on the old curtains, right? So I went on on the Thursday, sitting in the pub, I was doing my shift to put a, a Europa League coupon on. £1,250 in my bookies account. <laughs> I'm going, there must be a mistake here. Turns out I'd bet £2.50 scorecast, Samaras first goal at the new camp, Barcelona 2-1. So I, I told you I did a few Guinnesses. I bet against my own team, which I wouldn't normally do. And uh, Samaras got, getting given that goal was probably the biggest steal of all time because his header was never going to, never would have went in, I don't think. Aye. Some of the comments coming in regarding regarding Samaras, that's, that's a fair lift, Russell, for a bet that you can't remember bitting on, eh? £2.50, mate. £2.50 and £1,250. I couldn't, I couldn't believe my eyes, eh? Paul O'Hare comes in, he says, No for me, Kev. Infuriated the life out of me. Bags of talent. Played one game in six. I'm not denying that, Paul. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But when I was looking back on I this, and sometimes, and sometimes time's a big healer and that, and sometimes he did frustrate the living daylights out of you. But he's he's one of those players that when he, when he was like on form, he was, he was a joy to watch. And it didn't hurt him often enough. It didn't hurt him often enough. But when it did hurt him, you loved the big fella because he loved us. I mean, who, who didn't love the... He got us, I mean, when he left Celtic, he says, I'm leaving Celtic, but Celtic will never leave me. Wow, I didn't know he'd said that, that's clear. Uh, that's what he says. John McGuigan does point up that he did miss a penalty after Samaras Sunday as well, which probably would have won us the league. Um, aye, he's right there. Aye, he did have his faults, but no going to say that we didn't have his He was the right faults. guy to choose to take the penalty. He was, it was a lazy penalty. 
There was, was a way to get Do you know, it's like a crux though, Kev, right? Because he is so laid back, that is sometimes like a good thing because you go, he's not going to be feeling any pressure here. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't feel pressure the same way, but yeah, it it was was too cushioned, wasn't it? It was too cushioned that he telegraphed where he was going to put it. Then then you remember, do you remember the penalty kick that he took for Greece in the World Cup, the 2014 World Cup against Ivory Coast? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, check it out on YouTube. Uh, so check it out YouTube Frank Brennan's talking about I'm going to bring this up to date because this is jumped this is jumped out for me I sincerely hope that Alan Nixon is talking trite if the mentality f- f- fragile Eddie Howe oh that's disappeared Eddie Howe is any kind of done deal as an ex-Celtic manager I don't know where that's coming from so seemingly Alan Nixon's a journalist and he's saying Eddie Howe's a done deal anybody else trying to go along with that Aye, but then we'll talk. We'll talk about Samaras. There's quite a few folk in the comments coming in saying he loved a cigarette as well. Seemingly he smoked forty a day, and he used Love to have a, he used to have a cigarette at half time. Brilliant. For all the love that we've got for Sammy, we 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 have to temper it by the fact that he was inconsistent in that. But I think he's an ultimate cult, cult player, and yes. he's far and away the best Greek ever to play for Celtic. So far. <laughs> <laughs> so so far. So do you ken what he's doing now? No. He left Celtic in 2000, uh, two, 2014 and he is now the vice chairman of his hometown club, OFI Crete. Ah, amazing. Amazing. Now, he is now uh, the the vice chairman of his hometown club, the club where it all started for him. So there you go. But for me, Big Samaras is is, is a welcome anytime back at Celtic Park. Therefore, therefore. No, the other part of that winning goal was a guy called Lassad. Now him and Samaras both look like the type of guys that are recently divorced woman for Darlington brings back for Cyprus. And presents her to her family. Because <laughs> he, he's my new husband. Both <laughs> of them looked like that. Um, Lassad had arrived at Celtic that season. And again, he had came with no much reputation. He, he'd moved to Deportivo La, La, La Coruña, easy for me to say, in 2008 on a free transfer for the French second division. Um, he, made the, he actually scored goals in La Liga. He scored five goals in La Liga in his second season. And he scored one against uh, Seville. I don't know if you've seen it. He picks the ball, ball up about 40 yards. He runs past two guys and he Dave Neri toe-pokes the ball right into the top corner for about 22 yards. It's, it's some goal. Um, but Deportivo were relegated that season and it was the following season that Lassad seemed to come into his own and he scored 18 goals and he fired the club back up into the La Liga. Yep. Bizarrely, now this should have set alarm bells ringing for everybody involved in this deal, bizarrely Deportivo cancelled his contract that uh, summer after he scored 18 goals to get them back into the top flight in Spain. That's odd, isn't it? It is odd. So then, uh, there's a bit of Levante 
uh, Valencia's Weir Club were going to sign him. They says that he had signed a deal with them, similarly to reneged on it, and he ended up signing for Celtic on the same day as Effie Ambrose, Effie Ambrose and Miku. So... I remember at that time, Miku was seen as a bigger signing. He was given the number seven jersey, which was far too, right. far too big for him to wear. He looked very uncomfortable in it. But then again, I'm reading about Lassad, and I'm reading what Neil Lennon says about him when he signed. Neil Lennon says that the, that the player would bring a physicality and a presence to the front line. And I'm going, if you watch any footage of when he's plodding about Spain's setting division. You never see anything that once suggests that he's a target man. You never see. That's you never bizarre. See, you never see once. He actually at times when the Scottish game got a bit more agricultural, he looked like a pensioner gone head first into a gale. He was getting. He just get buffeted about. He didn't have any physical, physical pre- presence whatsoever. So he turns up. And nothing much happens for a couple of, couple of weeks. And he, he he only he played sixteen games for Celtic and scored three goals before yeah, he le- b- before he left. Now his first goal we scored against Aberdeen. Uh, Big Wan Yama strolls through the Aberdeen defence, fires a shot for really 25, 25 years. The post is still shaking. I think. Oh, <laughs> the post is still the, the post is still shaking in the northeast, the northeast wind, and first time finish, and he puts it back into the back of the net, and you're going, that's a tidy finish, that's a right tidy finish. We might have a player here, and he looked very technical, and he looked okay. Eleven days later, he scores a set, his setting goal against Hearts, again at Tynecastle, a four nothing victory at Tynecastle. Chris Commons whips the ball in and he's got a right foot volley at the back post first time under the Hearts goalie. Again, it's another great finish. An absolute perfect, it's an absolute brilliant finish. But then between that and his last goal for Celtic, there's nothing. Absolutely hee-haw. Nothing happens. He struggles. He just doesn't look like the centre forward that's going to break in front of Gary Hooper, in front of Samaras, in front of Tony Watt, who who was... who was probably the third choice striker at that point, eh, or fourth choice striker. It just never looked like it worked for him. Then his last goal that he scores for Celtic is once again against Hearts, and it's once again for a Chris Commons cross, and once again it's a volley at the back post. His three That's goals right. are peaches. <laughs> his They're three really, goals really nice. His three really goals nice are, <laughs> His three goals are actually good, good goals. But then in between that time, you've got the... I remember the game against St Martin at Hamden, which I spoke about at the start of this podcast. He was utterly terrible that game, like a lot of the players at Hamden that day. And the player says when he left, um, he, he, he says he was never fit and he just didn't get enough game time to get fit. What's your memories of the fleeting appearances of Lassad? Wasn't a signing that particularly excited um, I remember him coming from Deportivo La Coruña and it, you know, you knew that they were a side that sort of fell from grace. Um, they'd won the league only eight, nine years before. Um, it was always something that seemed that it was destined to just be a, you know, a sub for the last 15 minutes if he ever, if he was going to make an appearance. And 
I thought his I thought his contribution was minimal, but it's the marketers report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The goals that he scored when I watched them today, they were really classy finishes, and you could tell the guy obviously had a bit, you know, one heck of a technique on him. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the type of guy that probably saunters about training, but it's worth keeping an eye on because he'll probably do something that you'll not see very often. Do you know what I mean? Just because he can. But not something you could hang your hat on, do you know what I mean? No way. Um, and again, that Neil Lennon description of him really doesn't match the Lasad I remember watching at all. I don't remember any physical presence whatsoever. Um, so I don't know where that came from. That, but, You know, I was thinking when we signed, when I was looking at the Lasad signature, how many players did we sign in that first spell under Lennon? Frightening. And that leads me to the substitute that was playing as well. Um, Antajic. Aye, Bern, Bern, uh, Bosnian, Swedish, uh, Swedish Bosnian. Young I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, he must have just made up the numbers. So, again, as we do, you know, uh, Kev, we go down the, the mines, don't we? You know what I mean? Mm. And it's, you've got to do some digging. So, this Antajic guy who's on the bench here, I could swear blind I've never heard of in my life before. I didn't watch scoring a peach of a lob at Fur Park with a really nice cushioned uh, finish, you know, over the, lifted over the keeper beautifully. And he could only have been 17, 18 at this time. He's only 26 just now. And he's uh, he won a Lithuanian quadruple in his career. Um, uh, a Lithuanian quadruple? Is that a car plant? <laughs> is that is that a poker hand? A Lithuanian quadruple? I don't know. I know, man. But um, I, it made me wonder, you know, how many guys was Neil Lennon commissioned to sign at that stage? It was a free for all, mate. I know, it's when you look back and make, we spoke about it last week with uh, Mohamed Bangura and we started naming centre forwards who came and went and didn't do nothing. And nobody mentioned Lassad. And it was just when we decided that we were going to do this game, I went, wait a minute, that Lassad's sitting on the bench here and we've got Miku. We signed Lassad and Miku that season in a season yeah. where we've already got Tony Watt, Hooper, Stokes and Samaras as the strikers at the club and Chris Commons. So you sign another two. 
It just just and it go, always goes back to the always goes back to the scene. <laughs> what Peter Wall says about Neil Lennon after they gave him this the, the job and the shivers at Hamden, he knows a player. Well, I think history points that you didn't get a pair a player, Peter. And I don't think Neil Lennon knows a player either. For Neil Lennon to say this guy was a target man, and I'm going, well, you've obviously never watched any of the footage I, whatsoever. I, because I mean, he was six foot two. So that's only about a target that that a, uh, and that is almost like just laziness, isn't it? Just like right, uh, his physique looks like he should be physical up front. So we'll just you know he's six foot two, so we'll label him a target man, and that's he's going to bring some physicality up top. Just nonsense, isn't it? Really, and I think you know with regards to the eye for a player thing, I suppose when Lowell said that, I was kind of in the camp of oh, he does, by the way. He does, because I'm thinking of all the, all the good ones. I know. And if you do this show, and you just get, it's just getting blown out the water, that theory. And, uh, you know, a broken clock's right twice a day. Do you know what I mean? If you sign 100 players, you're going to get four or five that are belters, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I, I would love to know how many players Neil Lennon signed in that first spell. I think oh. it would be astonishing. If somebody wants to do Screamer Selica's homework for them, please go and do that and tweet us, tweet us how many how many players did Neil Lennon sign in his first spell as Celtic manager? Um, great question. It would be a great question. Do you think it would? It's got to be. I would say over fifty. I'm, I'm I'm going for over fifty. I think that's spot on. Can I think it is over fifty? I would definitely think that. I think you mm. remember the boy for Juventus. I know we could go on and on here, but I mean there was the boy for Juventus. There was. Uh, but we've got an hour and a half. We've been extended. We've got extra time. Oh, is it an hour and a half tonight, is it? Aye, we've been extended, man. Yes. Public, de- public demand, seemingly. <laughs> public demand, seemingly. That's um, brilliant, dude. But, you know, I mean, remember, there was just so many. And I think when you look back, you know, it's it was very much trial and error. And... You know, you talk about wage budgets and things like that. I'm not sure what all these guys would have been on, but you'd imagine if Lassad, we'll get back to him, is turning down uh, Levante, who are in La Liga probably at the time, or, or agreeing with him, but actually preferring to go to Celtic, where he'd probably be aware of the competition for places. He would be you know, competing with five or six other bodies. It's probably because he was going to get more money at Celtic, so... You wonder how much was squandered then, as much as uh, there was a lot earned in the Champions League. Do you know what I mean? De- definitely. And people had a go at me when I said we were run shambolically. And I think when you see periods like this, where you bring in two centre-forwards when you've already got five at the club, shows a, lar- shows a largesse and arrogance that we could pick, that you could polish any sort of turd whatsoever and turn them into a player, turn them yep. into money. And that's not the way it works. My good friend Alan Horn says to us a, a couple of weeks ago, he went, see when you talk about guys that we used to sign in the 70s that were terrible, like Ronnie Galvin and guys like that. We used to sign guys for hearts. And he went, you would know where they would come from. You can, oh, he came for hearts. Where did we sign Bio for? Where did we sign Kamala for? Can you name the teams off the top of your head? You can't. You can't name those teams off the top of your head. So we're now signing guys from teams that you've never heard of. Subutio teams, teams that get you 35 points in Scrabble to try and try and like get a star out of them. <laughs> and it's a broken product. 
the guys who we've had success with have been linked to English academies beforehand or came for decent leagues. They've never came for the Czech second division. They've never came for your Skepovic's and Lassad for the second division in Spain. They've never came for there. The guys have came for English academies or they've, or they've came for the Belgian or the Dutch leagues. Yeah. That's, just off, that's just off the top of my head. So this, I, we can, we've polished a load of turds in our time. It's, a, it's f- fallacy. It's, it's, it's a myth. It's an utter myth. It needs debunked that the last 10 years has been all sweet and sweetness and light. When you start actually going through it, we've absolutely pushed millions and millions of pounds up the wall on absolute dross. You're spot on. That's, that's, my, that's my wee rant over and done. No, 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 but I think you're right to, to highlight that because there is a there is this mad well it's not a mad theory but there is a common thought that Celtic what we project players um, Celtic develop players and they sell them on for her uh, they sell them on for millions of profit um, and that's the model that Celtic work through and all this and you go well the models not work because we've never uh, developed in Europe really the past you know decades since we started doing that other than obviously the the, the year the season in question that we're discussing right now but for me it would be a lot more prudent to be getting guys in you know that I don't know I just think that you know when you compare two millions two millions two millions that add up is it no more cost effective to sign one wage one player at five six million that's got a far greater chance of being good Mm. you're completely spot on. You are completely spot on. And it's this whole, we've been a well-run club, we're a progressive club, we're this and that. And you're going, that's all the bollocks, pal. Let's actually have a look at this. Let's yeah. actually have a look at what done. So Kamala was signed from Jagonalina Ballastock. There you go. 35, 35 points at Scrabble. And Bio FC Dak 1904 I mean, Donarask Strada. Mental. I bet you they, they two haven't even got a Sabuto team. Um, I tell you what, we, we, we shelled out a heck of a lot of money as well. You know, three and a half million to a club that we've never heard of, two million to the Slovakian mob for uh, for mm. Bayo. And you think to yourself, you know, those clubs must have been laughing. Not because the players are, are you know, I'm not going to criticise them overly, but that just seems to me like money that they probably wouldn't be getting off of the majority of clubs, you know what I mean? Offers for, for, for their better players. I, I know. If you know your history, I mentioned a comment earlier on, and maybe this puts a kibosh on what I actually was saying. I've seen all our successes have came from England. He went, Ayeti is this season's last ad. What do you think of that? Discuss. Very good. But we never, paid five, but we never paid five million for uh, Lassad, we got him on a free transfer because his club had bizarrely cancelled his, <laughs> cancelled his or contract. Or not so bizarrely. <laughs> <laughs> the way it turned out. Now, he left after a season and I think I think they can say he was a journeyman. He went and played in Portugal. He played in Japan. He played in Tunisia. Then he went back to Spain with C.D. Toluda. Toledo, that's it, C.D. Toledo, where he retired at 32 in 2018 after he suffered 
Aber he retired on medical grounds because he suffered a, a heart attack before a game against Real Madrid B. That rings a bell, you know. That rings a bell. I'd forgotten about that, in fairness. Nah. So he hasn't played since 2018. And I read an interview with him when I was actually researching this, and he just says that he, he's more. He's had a great. He had a great career, but more things. His health's more important than trying to play football. And I don't know what he's actually doing now. Maybe he's in Darlington with a, with a recently divorced <laughs> housewife <laughs> who who met him via Tinder or something like that. But I don't know what's what Lass adds up to. But let's get back to this. Why are him and Samaras linked? Apart from that, I'm doing the Samaras celebration there, look at that. Um, <laughs> they're linked with that goal. They're linked with that goal. Why are they linked with that goal? Obviously, it was a heater back and an overhead kick, but why are they linked? What's so unusual about that goal? Only time they're on the pitch together? No. It was the last time Lassad touched a ball for Celtic. That was wow. his last touch. Wow, of, that was the last touch of a ball in his Celtic career ever. He and never he played. To go. On his what deal. He still had a year to go on his deal at that point. He so. still had a year to go on his deal at that point. Uh. So his deal was cancelled in the summer and after that header back for Samaras, he never kicked a ball for Celtic once again. There you go. What a That's last surprising. touch. What a last touch, though, eh? Oh, brilliant. Love it. <laughs> what a last Love touch. It. It, you know, it's such a memorable style of goal that Samaras scores as well. That'll stick in his memory big time, do you know what I mean? It will, it will stick in his memory um, and good luck to both guys whatever they're actually doing now I think uh, producer Paul's in the background there. he's got to try and get Big Sammy on eh? we've got to try and he's the, that ultimate, would be amazing. he's the ultimate cult hero and I'm sure producer Paul will make it happen Facebook user says 42 players in his first spell in management how many? Go, 42 Wow! I say, I say they were fifty, but forty-two. That's that's a fair turnover of players in that four is a fair seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot. I, I'm, I mean, from my point of view, I, I did actually fear it would be more than that, Kev. To be honest with you, I think, so, so so did I. I did fear it. I think it would be more than that. Hmm. I wonder. Th- th- this is this is for th- this is for a uh, someday if they want to do this. How many players has Stephen Gerrard signed in his first three years? That must be high 20s, 30s enemy, maybe? I think so. Huh. Right, forget, um, about, forget about that whopper. Let's, let's, let's move on. <laughs> uh, let's move on to something uh, decent music. Let's move on to music. Uh, I'm just trying to get up what was in the charts at that point because I forgot to write it down. Um, what was number one? At that time, so it was March. See, underprepared this week, mate. Underprepared this week. So March two thousand and thirteen. What do you think's number one? If I, if you have to have a guess, who do you think's number one? Hmm. Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. I know. Yeah, Justin Tim. Justin Timberlake. Yeah, that is who it was. And I didn't recognise the name of the song either. 
No, mirrors. Mirrors by, by Justin Timberlake. Haven't they got a clue? I don't remember that at all. Uh, having a look down, let's see what else is there. One way or another, be one direction. One of my daughter's favourite songs. She doesn't like the Blondie version. Going back to cover versions that we spoke about at the start of the program. It's all entertainment. It is, aye. Uh, Ollie Murs was in the church with Army of Two. Uh, Superb. Good for him. Ah, yeah, Bond man, Russell. Do you like James Bond? Oh, is that right? Adele was in the charts with Skyfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that tune. I remember that I, tune. I, I think that I think that's a decent. I think that's a decent um, James Bond film. That I, I, I like Daniel Craig as James Bond. He's one of my favourite. He is. Really? Does he does he overtake? Uh, does he overtake Sean as the best Bond ever? Mm, maybe. I think he does. I, li- I like Daniel Craig as, as Bond. I think he's, he sorts. I think he's got the look because Bond was meant to be a Marine. He was, wasn't he meant to be Timothy Dalton or Roger. Oh, Moore. really? He was meant to be a Marine. Aye, uh, that's that's how uh, Fleming wrote him. He was an ex-Marine, so he, he, he would have had a bit of stature and stockiness about him. Eh? And I think I think Craig has got that. The charts, the album charts. Yes. Uh, number one that week, 16th of March 2013, Bad Blood Bastille. Never really listened to them. Pass, pass. Uh, oh, num- straight in, new entry at number three, Pop Pickers, is Graffiti on the Train oh, by, the ster- <laughs> by the stereo. Am I allowed to say Pop Pickers? Has that been cancelled? By- <laughs> <laughs> Operation U Tree cancelled by saying Pop Pickers. I don't know. Somebody, some, somebody needs to let me know that. Um, <laughs> before I say it again, um, Graffiti on the Train, Stereophonics. You're a big, you're a big phonics fan. What did you think of that album? Um, it was all right. It was all right, mate. Um, it was all right. It wasn't a, it wasn't a timeless classic. Do you know what I mean? Wasn't it? Wasn't it one of their best? I can tell by your non-plus reaction. That- uh, it was all right, man. It was all right, but if I, I mean, for a few spells, they've not been on fire. I would say. Do you know what I mean? Good festival band, brilliant greatest hits. I'm sure they'll have if they've not already had one. But uh, I think graffiti in the train either. Yeah. Yes, uh, Esther Pona boy. I did nearly say graffiti on the wall. I did nearly say. <laughs> <laughs> um, number twelve in the album chart was Jake Bug. Were you into Jake Bug? Wow. Number twelve. Wow. I, I saw him support. I saw him. Uh, I saw him supporting the, the roses at Glasgow Green with the primal scream. Uh huh. Wasn't he into him that much, truthfully? Really? Nah, nah, didn't get him, didn't get him. He seemed to get a lot of flack for not writing his own songs. Or, or like needing help and, you know... No, Gallagher gives him a bit of abuse for not writing his own songs. Really? Nah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can remember it being a thing at the time, and who really cares, right, to be honest? As long as it's a good tune. If he's contributing, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, what was any re-releases? Re-releases. 
the very best are Neil Diamond. You used to own a pub. Neil Diamond must have went doing a storm in your pub. Ah, oh, mate. Uh, honestly, money talks and it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. Honestly, here it's so often, it's so cliche, it's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? It was the type of tune that I would actually just skip on the jukebox machine, Kevin, a Saturday night if I'd been particularly pumped that night by hundreds of customers. Do you know what I mean? I would just go... Skip that, I'm not doing it. I'm not watching all you drunken idiots, you know, <laughs> singing that song like your life depends on it and that. No way, man. I'm not having it. So we may as well get to the albums that we've picked yes. um, this week, which were released in March of that year. So we give ourselves a bit of scope so so, so we can... Uh, because you can't talk about Bruno Mars and stuff like that, because that would just... No, that would just be a street cred, street cred if we've got any. No, no, according to Scott Forbes, who's saying, wine and laddie, voice like nails on a blackboard. Well done, Scott. Nice for listening. <laughs> you can uh, get your subscription back. No problem. Refunds are available at the door. Um, <laughs> so the album I've went for this, this, uh, this week is Steve Mason. Now, for you who didn't ken Steve Mason, Steve Mason was in one of the best Scottish bands ever called the Beta Band. Oh, yeah. You heard of the Beta Band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. The Beta Band were utterly fantastic. And Steve Mason, in this month, released his second solo album, Monkey's Time in the Devil's Mind. Um, This was after his his debut solo album was a bit more electronic. Mm -hmm. And I think it was released... Three years before this. Now, for me, this album was a return to form for Steve Mason. Yeah. Um, he was, it's got 20 songs on it, 20 songs, 59 minutes, but he had a bit of fun with this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of hip hop in it, there's a bit of uh, big anthems, there's skits, there's samples. Mm-hmm. And it basically, it starts, it starts with. Steve, Steve has been very, very open about his battle with depression and alcoholism and stuff like that. And 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 the, al- the album the album picks it up on that because the first line on the album is he's he's lying awake as a fifteen year old boy thinking what's happening in this yeah. life. And then halfway through the album, towards the end of the album, it gets a bit angry, it gets a bit political, it gets a bit hip hoppy, like. And it changes. Then the album ends. We come to me again, and it's got that like kind of downward spiral again. So the album for me is like a story and goes in a full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 circle, goes yeah. In, it goes in a full. It goes in a full circle. That's but cool. for me, it is, it's, it's a really for me, and it's very very playful. And for me, there's more ideas on this album than some bands get in a whole lifetime. Yeah, like six or seven albums. For in these twenty tracks, he's managed to actually harness loads and loads of creative ideas but there's also songs on this album I mentioned Noel Gallagher there there's songs on this album for me like A Lot of Love Lonely eh, Oh My Lord that if Noel Gallagher or Richard Ashcroft had had written them folk Mm -hmm. would be saying are the greatest songs ever written because they're that spot on they're that catchy they're that got a crossover appeal Yes, they, they, they should have been massive hits, but the reason that they weren't is like Steve Mason's a wee specky boy for Anstruther. 
Yeah, and it, and it was on a it was, this was on a small record label. This, this, but I would recommend anybody to go and listen to this album. Uh, had you listened to it before the day, Russell? No, I never even managed to get around to it today, Kev. I was rushed off my feet. Rushed at work, off your feet, at work. like me yesterday. Real life getting in, real life real getting, life getting in the way. And 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 I, I listened to my album when I did have the the spare time because I wanted to kind of be taken back to that, which I had a lot of fun with as well. Mm-hmm. For me, me um, Mason's went on. He's released two other solo albums after this, uh-huh. and I would recommend anybody to check out like the whole his whole back catalogue. And I'm talking yeah. about the I'm, I'm talking about the Beta Band, uh, talking about the Beta Band, I'm talking about like um, King Bistic Time. King Biscuit time, the Black Affair and all his solo stuff. Scott Forbes comes back in and I owe my apology. I apologise. Very, very sorry, Scott. I'll give you your, your membership money, but Kev, you're too sensitive. I meant Jake Bug. You guys are great. Hey! <laughs> apologies, mate. <laughs> oh, apologies on behalf of Kev. I always <laughs> like to go. <laughs> so I for me, for me this is a classic Steve Mason album which takes the seeds of the beta band and he de- he's developed it but you've got the song on it what's it called let's see Fight fight Them Back it's a very political record because Fight Them Back's about the, the, the riots in the 2011 London riots and there's a there's a song about it about the what was it there was a guy that got killed in Tottenham that started off all these riots when London basically got set on fire and fight them back is it's like a it's like a war protest song really and, and aye oh it's fantastic it's, it's a fantastic song and it was actually used Reebok used it uh, for an advertising campaign called fight them wow. back. Um, so, wow. uh, as, you, as you see, it's got that sort of uh, this album's got that crossover appeal. Um, so, I'm having a look in the comments. Uh, Boards of Canada did release tomorrow's harvest. You, your Boards of Canada, man, Russell. Never even heard of them, mate. You never even heard the Boards of Canada. Oh, that's another one for you to check. I'm out my depth on this, man. I'm out my oh, depth knowledge. Boards of Canada, another Scottish band, two brothers. Um, who come from somewhere up up north, or they stay somewhere up in the highlands outside Inverness? Uh, fantastic instrumental techno, ambient techno, fantastic band. Instrumental but, ambient techno. techno. Is that what you just said? Yes. Oh come on! What's up with that? Like? I don't instrumental good. ambient, ambient techno. techno. Right. Someone's at it. No, we're, we're not at it. Uh, they got their name Boards of Can- Canada because they, they watched a, a film by the Tourist Board of Canada and they won right. and the first and they and they sampled it. That's how they got the name Boards of Canada. Wow, okay. There cool. you go. Right, uh, I've educated you, so you need to educate me on David Bowie now. Yeah, absolute hero, man. Um the next day, the album, when it came out, I think only David Bowie could do what David Bowie did at this point. Now, we're in the digital world very much by 2013, Kev, as I'm sure you, you, you agree. Um, mm-hmm. Keeping secrets on an ever-growing 
social media community or uh, world that we're in or whatever you want to call it is nigh on impossible. And yet here you are on David Bowie's 66th birthday, I think it was. I never have notes of that, man. So if it was the 66th, who cares? It was something like that. Um, he announces an album on his website and along with a brand new single for the first time in 10 years. So there's all of a sudden, there's been no hype about this. Um, there's been no word at all. And then in one day, boom, there's going to be an album next week. And here's a video for the new song, Where Are We Now? And it's obviously, I took it at the time as very much that single as Bowie's disappointment in, in, in the world he was sort of, almost like he's been away. Do you know what I mean? Where's he been? Because he, does he doesn't exist on planet Earth and, you know, in between all this. So he's came back to Earth and he's a wee bit disappointed as to, you know, what, 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 you know, what world he finds himself in. Um, I put the album on earlier on today and I just felt, you know, from track one, for me, it's much better than the Blackstar album that he did a couple of years later. I think Bowie's got, as much as I love him, I kind of admire it. He's got an awkward streak to him. He doesn't, he doesn't always want to play Bowie songs to you, if that makes sense. <laughs> like he, He's not going to just go with the stereotypical fans' favourite type of David Bowie music, um, unless that's the type of music he really wants to make. And I've got to say, I find with... Uh, the next day, right from the first track, which is called The Next Day. You mm -hmm. feel like he's having fun with it. Um, and there's really just, it's, it's really upbeat, good vibes. Um, I thought the single that should have been the lead single was The Stars Are Out Tonight. Again, very much was him singing about, uh, I've been watching the whole time, what he's up to, um, referring to himself, obviously, as a star, um, which I like because there's a bit of arrogance in that. And again, sort of, I don't know, it was almost sort of making out, you know, you are all rubbish or, or, or whatever's happening here. I'm not impressed with That's the vibe I get from it. Um, and then there's another track um, that really, really, I'd forgotten almost in, in, in my in my ignorance to, to all things good with music, mate, um, was uh, Valentine's Day. Such a good tune, man. And just, you know, Dowie is very best. And I think that album, as I said, I just thought there was something magical about it. Everyone had assumed he'd retired, myself included cutting about with a Bowie tattoo and all that, you know, and, uh, you know, boom, he's back. And suddenly you just felt like, you know, this guy's just streets ahead. I think it was his first number one album since 1993. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I just found it, it was just inspiring at the time. And I suppose when you look back and you realise, you know, he's, I think his ill health had probably began already by mm -hmm. then, you know, it was quite an awe-inspiring comeback um, to see him selling so many records again. And like I say, just the real magic for me, getting the, the, the whole band to sign, you know, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements and all that. And uh, for him to still have that loyalty, someone would leak it in the modern day. Do you know what I mean? Someone's got Definitely. to leak it. I, and for, you know, I just thought that's the only Bowie could have done that. Um, it makes you believe in magic. Do you know what I mean? I must admit, and I, and I will admit this, that he's never played a major part in my musical listening. Um, yep. And I think that's mainly because when I was growing up, my dad's record collection, he didn't have any David, uh, his records in, in the collection. Yeah. He, my, my dad was more into Neil Young, the band, the Birds, band, bands like that. 
And when you look at an artist like Bowie with a large back catalogue of work and the back catalogue gets held up on a pedestal, sometimes it can be quite daunting to actually go, where do I start? What happens if I start at the wrong place? And look, I've watched all the docu- any documentary about him, it's on the telly, I watch it. I love, oh, I, love the, I, I love the Ziggy Star stuff stuff. But then I'm I'm thinking about 84, 85 live with him and Mick Jagger doing dancing in the streets, that big coat and all of that, and you're going, Oh, that's I don't I, it kind of off putting it. It's just like people like I grew up in the eighties and it's the eighties Rod Stewart. Like yeah. do you do you think I'm sexy and like and that, no, I know that, 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 that that's <laughs> rubbish. That's rubbish, Rod Stewart. Then when you no, 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 I love it. My daughter thinks you look like Rod Stewart actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when when you've got an artist that's such held in such high esteem, sometimes I have to take uh, sometimes you have to take a step back and go, I'm a bit scared to actually go in and delve into that back catalogue. I and, understand what you mean. And I think there's also a bit of you going, and I'll be honest here, I think you, I would, I would, I would counter that with the dark side of the moon last week, mm-hmm. where there was a bit of me feeling like I've got to get this. Do you know what I mean? Like you've kind of, because it's there, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's got Aye. such a high pedestal that it's all in. And I was feeling kind of like I, I wanted to, do you know what I mean? I'm wanting to connect with this. Do you know what I mean? I've got to call it as I see it, and I, and I admitted at the time I probably didn't. But I did feel like I kind of, I, 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 I don't know if pressure is the right word, okay, but I, I know what you mean. Like, I wait on you to go, like, mm-hmm. I, get, I get this music such as its, um, its reputation, its prestige, its placement, do you know what I mean? And, and musical you know, fo- you know, folklore and all that. Do you know what I mean? So I do get what you mean. It's like there's so many guys that I consider musical heroes who will say the moment their life changed was seeing David Bowie as Ziggy on top of the pops in oh, 1972. That was the moment it changed their life. And you go, wow, that must be a massive moment. But I feel like it's their, their moment. If you know what I mean, him doing that influenced the influenced the music that I've got into later on, and I'm going maybe I didn't need maybe I didn't need to love that moment for them because they've loved it for me and produced the music that I like. Very good. And so I will. I must admit, when he passed away, I, I listened to the album Young Americans is on. And I never really got it, but a couple of people in the comments are telling me to start with Hunky Dory. A couple of people are telling me to start with Ziggy and just work my way through. I remember him more as Tim Machine because that was a time in the 80s when, like, I was growing up and getting into music, and it was David Bowie who was doing Tin Machine. That's so, right. So I was like, That's right. I mean, that's strange. I was supposed to, you can't, first impressions and everything as well, Kev, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? When you're. If that's if that's the era that he was relevant at that time, and that's when you first seen him, then I totally get that. Uh, why that would be, you know, your sort of, ah, uh, your first sort of go to image of him in your head. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is, and it's probably unfair on somebody that was a as chameleon like as David uh, as David was. Um, Kevin Hamsey in the comments 
We Could Be Heroes was the tune I listened to as we marched onto the pitch at Seville. I love Heroes. I love the production of Heroes. When you hear how sparse, uh, as I say, is, I, I watched quite a few documentaries about it, and when you hear how sparse it was um, and how big they made it sound, Heroes was a fantastic song. And it is used on all these like sort of, um, what could you say, montages when England get put out of the World Cup on penalties and stuff like that. And, <laughs> <laughs> dry your eyes by Mike Skinner and we could be heroes by David <laughs> by, by Bowie. Um, and strangely enough, uh, Oasis covered it, go right back to the start of the programme. Oasis covered That's heroes right. by David, David was, uh, Bowie as well. Signed by Noel, wasn't it? Yes, I think so. I and that would have been round about oh, two thousand and don't, don't believe the truth. Was it? Was it not round about that time? Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was earlier. I'm not hundred percent sure. Five, two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about John Pauls came in and says the third LP. So it must have been a B side on uh, Be Here Now. Uh, do you know what I mean? He's just came in. There you go, eh? The man's a walking encyclopedia. He, he <laughs> is, though, eh? Definitely. Uh, the, the producer, man, he, he frightens me. The amount of, it's bizarre. Uh, he frightens me. When I was talking about being, being into bands that were influenced by Bowie's legend, eh? The next album that I picked, because I struggled this month. I, I've seen quite a few comments coming in uh, about the Primal Screen releasing an album in 2013. This and that. We pick albums that were released in the month of the game that we talk about. We maybe should actually do the housekeeping before the start. Eh? I know. <laughs> maybe we should do. I know. So we, we only look at albums that, that were released in the, the month that the of the game that we were talking about. So this game was in March 2013, so we're only talking about albums that were released in March in 2015. Oh, the albums that we pick to listen to are in, yeah. uh, are in March 2013. When I was talking about bands that were heavily influenced by Bowie, Swed were one of my favourite ever bands, right? And Brett Anderson, the singer, has got a massive Bowie influence, and everything that he done, everything so that he does. So funny because literally was listening to, oh, what track was? I think it was track number three on the next day, which you can't remember the name of, and was going to say to you, that sounds like Suede, by the way, sir. That uh, there was a, like you could see the the, the links hugely. Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to it today. I think it was track number three. I could be wrong, um, but one of the tunes definitely was very very Suede or Suede as you call them. Uh, esque. I meant to say that. I meant to message you that actually. Uh, uh, and this is where I remember reading. I mean, for me, Swed were the band that uh, gave birth to Britpop because they were the first one to come across the barricades with sounding very, very British, sounding yes. like a mixture, a mixture of the Smiths uh, and a mixture of Bowie, the Smiths. There was a there was a lot of English sounding influences in them, and. They released the first album in 11 years this month, in March 2013. And they had went back to work with Ed Buller, who was um, who produced their first three albums. And it's no many bands that can lose a main member and produce an album like Dogman Star, then go on to have greater... Then go have, I mean, Bernard Butler is a, a genius guitarist, genius producer. 
and he was seen as the main creative force in the band. But then all of a sudden he leaves, and the band go on to actually have greater success without him uh, than, than mm. what they had, what they, what they had with him. And that usually doesn't happen. Somebody no. can come in. Is, is, is there any bands out there that have lost a main main member and went on and had greater success? I've, I've, I'm sure there is. I'm sure somebody will come in and tell us. But Sweden are the only band that I've seen that happen with. Now this album is like a return. Return to form. This is back up there, way coming up, which they released in 1996, I think. Mm-hmm. The first song on it, Barriers, it starts off with a big rolling drum and all of that. And I remember listening to this and going, that, that's the song the killers have been trying to write for 10 years. That was like, there you go, the killers who have been influenced by Britpop and British indie haven't they wrote yep. a song as good as Barriers and this band wanders back after 11 years and just goes ah, this is the first song on, on, on no, an yeah. album won't you Hit you there, there you go um, and it's this album is unashamed, unashamedly sounds like vintage sweat and I'm going that's brilliant they come back after 11 years and go aye we can that uh, the press are not going to give us any press this is not going to happen that's not going to happen we're just going to make an album for ourselves and their last three albums have been utterly fantastic and they seem to all have that vibe with them they're just going we're, we're just going to do what we want to do that's cool do, you, do they make much money do you think then out of these sort of albums what, the sort, what sort of record sales are they getting I reckon, well, obviously, nobody sells records now. And well, you know, uh, nobody sells records now. And they, they make their money probably for touring live. And if you look at the venues that they're selling out, they will be making a, enough wedge to actually carry on doing it themselves. And they are on yeah. Polydor again. They're, they're on a, they are on a major label again now, eh? But if you look, at they sell out the Barrowlands, eh? they're playing at the... I think they played at the Kelvin Grove Bandstand and they sold it out as well, which was three and a half thousand. Uh, they've headlined a couple of Midland festivals and that as well. So they will make, they have got a following there, but the following, the, the following that they've got there is backed up with their new material. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to see them now, I don't want to see them doing a greatest hits set. I want to see them doing some of their newer stuff as well because their newer stuff stands up with with um, with their old stuff. No, that's fair. And it's it's another fantastic... A, a lot of people go, I swear, I, I, I didn't reckon it was there. They've released three albums uh, since two, this one in 2013, and each of them is better than the last one. And wow. it's, it's fantastic. Uh, for me, they're on a better run of albums than what they were in the mid-90s at this precise moment in time. Fair. Uh, a couple of, couple of people coming in. Vince Clark left Depeche Mode in 1981. Now, that's a shout. Depeche Mode became uh, Vince Clark. Who did I say Vince Powell? Did I say that? Vince Clark left Depeche Mode in 1981. <laughs> well, I Depeche Mode went on and became bigger. But then Vince Clark left and formed Erasure. Did he go to Erasure at that time or did he form... Oh, did he form the band with Alison Moy? Was he in the band with... Am I getting completely mixed up here with my early 80s new romantic band? Yazoo. 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 Very good. My, my early 80s new romantic bands there. Um, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. A couple of folk have came in and says ACDC. 
I don't know mm-hmm. enough about ACDC's history to actually comment on that Iron Maiden. Again, I'm no a big metal head, so I don't know about that. Vince Clark's a strange one, eh? In the pest mode, in Yazoo, in Erasure. Three successful no bands. Bad CV, and that's a great CV, eh? No there's, bad CV at all, man. There's no many, but there's there's no many guys can actually get leave bands and go and they have as much success as that with other bands. Only what only other person I can think of. Long J uh, Fat Boy Slum. He's a house martins. House martins. He was in the Fat Boy Slim is just. I mean, I, I I love telling folk that, like, if you're at a house party and maybe don't know, you know, you can tell if they know that it's the same guy or not, and you'll, you'll be having a YouTube party. Do you know what? You know, the, the party always ends up in a taking turn about, picking tunes and that, and you put on Caravan of Love, and then when it's your next shot, you put on, you know what I mean, like, uh, Praise You, and like, same guy. Mm-hmm. Same <laughs> guy, like, eh? No way. What, what was, what was uh, Beats International as well he was in? That'd be good to me. That's Fat Boy Slim as well. Is it? That's Norman Cook. Yes, Norman Cook's on the bait. It's a Beats International. And is, is that, it? Oh, I, my days. I did not know that. Did you not know that Norman Cook played the bass on... Uh, no, Cook, I know that song really no. well. Uh, wow. What's the other one that he was in? Was it Pizza Man? He had a number one with Pizza Man as well. Um. I, he said, as, as a quiz question, what what, uh, what artists have had number ones with two different bands? And I think there's 14 or 15 guys in history have had number ones with two different bands. No. So no, not necessarily a band in solo, two bands. That, two bands. Like, for example, wow. Fat, Fat Boy Slum has had two number ones, two separate, complete separate House Martins. And a uh, fat boy slim, Paul Heaton, beautiful South House Martins. So yes. to Paul McCartney, the Beatles and Wings. Wings. Um, I think there's another member of Wings as well who had as a ELO and Wings. I'm not hundred percent. I'll need to Google the answers. I'll need to maybe that's that's your homework next week for the audience. <laughs> Google that's a good the, question. Google, that. Google Google answers. Uh, Mike Rutherford, if you know your history, that's a guy I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Eh? Uh, Phil Collins. I'm not 100 percent sure about Phil Collins. I'll get the answers for you for next week. Um, yeah, I like it. We could put it on Twitter and just get loads of suggestions for it as well. Well, I suppose folk will just copy and paste it for Google. No offence, guys, if you're watching, but that's probably my... No, 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 that's fine. I mean, we're like the BBC. We can't give out prizes anyway because it's against rules and regulations to give out prizes. (laughs) Um, You get a virtual prize. You get a virtual hug for Russell. There you go. (laughs) Right, Russell, that's an hour and 31 minutes. Brilliant, man. Love that. Robert, Robert Ingram, Denny Lane, correct. Aye, Denny Lane, the faces, and ELO, I think. Um, I think so, right. I'll need to leave this because it is now. <laughs> we, we could be here all night. We could actually be here all night. Easy, uh, mate. Easy days, anytime. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart, Stuart Haran, let's actually say it. Uh, 
an imaginary Larson Tankard to the winner who can name anybody who's had two number ones with two different <laughs> That's bands. That's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> right, lads, thanks for tuning in. It's been a bit shambolic towards the end, but hey, go. Hey, ho. See you later. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.